I didn't know that it takes just four pounds of pressure to pull the trigger on a nine millimeter handgun. Did you? I mean, that's like the pressure in a firm handshake. And that's not all that much, especially when someone is holding a nine millimeter handgun to your head. If you found yourself in that situation, what would you be willing to do to survive? I'm so glad you've joined me for this episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and we're going to tackle another story from the world of true crime and see what spiritual and safety tips we can find there. Now, I believe that every Christian's calling is to be what I call a different kind of PI, a person of impact. So stick around because we're going to talk about how we can each do just that. This is Season 4, Episode 3. Our book this week is Four Pounds of Pressure, a memoir of rape, survival, and taking back my power by Danielle Louise Lucum. So I want to make sure everybody understands we are going to be talking about sexual assault in this episode. So if that's going to be difficult for you or if someone with you that's listening, um, maybe it's not for them, you might want to skip to a different episode. But for those of you who are going to hang with me, Danielle is an author, speaker, and advocate for women who have experienced sexual trauma. And our guest today is all of those things as well. Candace Reyes is the founder and director of HerWell, a Texas-based nonprofit. We'll talk to Candace in a little bit, but first, let's investigate today's case. I can't even imagine the terror that Danielle Luca must have felt the morning she realized that a strange man was in her home. Terror not only for herself, but for her three-year-old son as well. It was around 1.30 in the morning on November 18th of 2018 when she heard a noise coming from the end of her bed. She thought it was her cat's and used her phone to light up the end of the bed. But instead of seeing her precious pets, she saw a man with a gun. He told her that she'd be just fine, as if what he had in mind would cause no damage. Did he really convince himself that having her hands zip-tied behind her back being raped repeatedly, and being told that he'd be watching her once he left wouldn't harm her at all? Danielle tried to remember everything about him that she could. And of course, she would never forget his chilling announcement that he'd been waiting years to be in this position. Had this man been stalking her for that long? When the man was finally ready to leave, he warned Danielle that he had disabled her phone and her iPad. He had spent time wandering through her house between assaults, making her wonder if he was planning listening devices or even cameras. When he assaulted her a second time, he told her she would not call the police or tell anyone. And the third time, he threatened to come back and kill her son if she told anybody what he had done. He said he'd be watching her, and he wanted her to remember that he knew how to get into her house. When he finally left, all Danielle could think of were his threats and the possibility that her rapist was somehow watching or listening. She tried to make the morning seem like it was just a normal morning, like any other, for her son's sake. She fed him while she plotted and thought about a way that she could get them out of the house without alerting her attacker. She told her son that they needed to go to the store for yogurt and coffee. She slipped a steak knife up her sleeve and took her son to a local grocery store. Afraid to use her own phone, she asked another shopper if she could use hers. She called her mother. Now, as the mother of two grown daughters myself, I just can't imagine what it would feel like to get that call. And of course, her mother rushed to the grocery store 
and together they called the police. Danielle had survived the attacks themselves. Now she would have a whole other type of survival. Danielle had to survive a very invasive examination to collect evidence and to just make sure that she was going to be okay. She had to survive reliving her attacks as she told police what happened. She had to survive never sleeping in her house again because she couldn't feel safe there. So many things in her life would never ever be the same. Danielle would have to survive rebuilding her entire life. It's no wonder that only approximately a third of survivors report their assaults to the authorities. Some just cannot imagine going through what Danielle did. And I'm not going to stand in judgment of that. I've never had to make that decision. Danielle did have great family support. She was going to need them when the time came to survive her attacker's trial. The police in Danielle's case really did an amazing job. And a few months after her attack, they let her know that they had made an arrest. And DNA evidence tied the man to the crime, no doubt about it. Danielle was shocked when they let her know they had arrested a man that she had known for years. He'd been a friend of her ex-husband's. And in fact, he'd actually been a groomsman in their wedding. Now Danielle had to testify in front of a grand jury and tell her story yet again. She also had to process the fact that her attacker had taken videos of the assault and the jurors would see them. Can you even imagine what that would feel like? Danielle's attacker was indicted on 18 felony charges and after numerous procedural delays and then COVID-related delays, both sides finally reached a plea deal. Danielle's rapist was sentenced to 250 months in prison, which, with good time credits, would be reduced to just under 14 years. And he'd already served two while he was awaiting trial. In her victim impact statement, Danielle noted that 994 out of 1,000 rapists go free. She hopes that by telling her story, it will become someone else's survival guide. If you want to know how to kick fear to the curb with PI-approved safety tips and lessons from scripture that will teach us to fear not, I've got the book for you. There's a link in the show notes to my book by that name, How to Kick Fear to the Curb. And it's my opportunity to share with you things that I've learned over the years that can help you feel safer just in a physical sense. But I also want you to read the comforting words of scripture and know that God is there for us and he doesn't want us to live in a spirit of fear. Yes, we want to take precautions and we want to be as safe as we can be, but we also need to learn to rest in him and know that he looks out for us. Now, I know that doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever happen, but no matter where we are in our lives, no matter what we've been through, God will be there for us. So if that sounds like something that will help you on your journey or someone else that you know, please look at the link in the show notes. You can get it on Amazon in Kindle form or you can get a paperback. Now let's get back to the episode. Today's guest, Candace Reyes is a speaker, author, and the executive director of HerWell. As a two-time survivor of sexual assault, Candace inspires other women to overcome their fears of the past and walk with Jesus through their recovery. Through storytelling and using practical tips, Candace helps women reclaim their hope, regain their voice, 
resist their urge to isolate during this healing journey. She's an award-winning author who coaches survivors daily as they embrace this healing journey. Candace, I am so excited to have you on my podcast. You and I have known each other for a couple of years, and I've just always admired what you've done, and especially your new initiative. And we'll talk about that in in just a minute. But I want to start by asking you kind of a long question. So when you're surviving sexual assault or a sexually abusive relationship, you know, that is obviously the goal for any woman that finds herself in that situation. But I think that the rest of us that that haven't had that experience, it's so easy for us to forget that she has to go on surviving every day after that. Mm -hmm. She's going to have to survive trauma responses that she'll be experiencing, the possibly less than graceful treatment some people. Mm -hmm. Won't talk about what kind of people those are, but some people might Mm -hmm. be giving her. Mm -hmm. There's the physical aftermath if she's been injured, maybe even an unplanned pregnancy. And then she might have to survive the court system Mm -hmm. if they're ever able to identify her attacker. So, you know, what kind of things do survivors go through that most of us just don't even realize? And what can we do to help? Mm, That's such a good question. You listed a whole lot of different scenarios that she or even he could possibly go through because I hate to say this, but this crime, the silent crime, it affects and it can impact male and females. Yes, majority of it is females that are actually enduring it. But as far as like, how can we help her? What kinds of things does she experience? My first thought is to believe her. A lot of times for a woman to share her story, her message, she is afraid that nobody is going to believe her because she's already questioning it herself. She is constantly Mm. thinking, did I do something to provoke this? Did I, did I say something? Did I, was I, was I drunk? Was I intoxicated? Which underneath the law, even if she is intoxicated or she's under the influence, she legally could not have given consent to begin with. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if she was or not. The fact is, is that she wasn't legally able to say, this is my consent for this action to be done. So to believe her and her story, I think is key to start building that empathy for her, not compassion so much, but empathy, like just empathizing with her and the fact of you can find a way to relate. I'm sure each of us have had some kind of trauma that we've experienced. And be able to tap into that trauma of what if somebody didn't believe you that that really happened to you or whether or not it happened the way you said it happened. How would you feel? How would you be impacted by that? And just kind of sitting in that, sitting in her shoes. And then after hearing her story and telling her that you believe her, I would even encourage her to go find help as far as counseling and other types of care. She's going to be going through a long process. This is not a a one and done healing situation. This is a a journey. It is a continuous battle that she's going to be facing as she's walking through this because she's going to be experiencing some PTSD signs. She's going to be experiencing just some doubt, some questioning. And 
having family members walk beside her on this, it can be challenging for those family members as well because they don't fully understand where she's at when she has night terrors. Just be able to to hold her or ask her, can I hold you? Because she may not want you to hold her. She may not want to even be touched, but just saying, I'm here with you or it's okay, you're safe. Reminding her that she's safe in those times. One of the counselors that I saw, because I am a sexual assault survivor, a two-time survivor. And one of the counselors that I, I saw, she, she taught me to, in those moments, look for four colors that you can see, three things you can smell, two things that you can hear, and then one thing that you can taste. And by doing those things, you're able to take your, your thought process and redirect it to a different path. Because when you're underneath the trauma part, you're back in that, that space that caused you the trauma where if you can redirect your thoughts and be very intentional with what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're feeling, so that you realize, okay, I'm not there. I'm not in that place. I am, I am actually okay. And so just reminding them as well as they go through this journey that you're not there. You're okay. You are safe. And help her understand and remember where she is presently to help kind of bring that anxiety and those traumas back into perspective. I love how you mentioned the part about believing, Mm -hmm. because I've seen lots of different studies and I know people worry about, well, what if it's a a fake Mm -hmm. or a false accusation? And the studies that I've seen would rate those anywhere from 2% to 10, Mm -hmm. most of them closer to the two, that the 10 was kind of an outlier. Mm -hmm. So odds are overwhelming that you're being told the truth. Right. And if she's leaving things out or or shading things a little bit, it's probably out of shame. Mm -hmm. She's protecting herself, not trying to implicate anyone else. Well, not only that, there could be points in her brain that have blocked those pieces out where she's completely, she doesn't remember them right now because the trauma was so severe that her brain went into self-preservation and basically she blacks out in those moments. I know in one of my own assault situations, I would look to the, just the side, like I was, I was trying to get my, my thoughts and my body out of that place of where I was. So even though my body was there, my mind was not. And, and so many times that's, that could be another reason why her story isn't matching all the little pieces and the details because it could be coming back to her very slowly in some situations, or she doesn't remember those things at all. Great points. Great things to remind all of us for when, because you do know someone who's been sexually assaulted. They may not have told you, they may not have shared, you may not realize it. But statistically speaking, we all know someone who is a survivor of sexual assault. Yeah. I want to turn toward your latest venture into serving these women. Her well. I love what you're doing. Absolutely love it because it takes such a holistic approach. And it's also extremely practical, which, you know me, I always talk about, I want things to be very practical. That's why I love the Bible. Mm -hmm. Super practical. Mm -hmm. How did you develop your programs? God, I know that's, that's very cliche, but it's the process that God took me on my own journey of healing. I had to understand that my perspective on intimacy had been broken and that brokenness 
it impacted not only my family and my kids and my, my husband, but it also impacted my relationship with God. I didn't know if I could truly trust him in certain situations anymore. Something happened to me and it was not kind. And I didn't understand why that had to happen or why that's part of my story. However, he does. And there is so much beauty from our ashes if we choose to go and seek him in the midst of those ashes. And it takes building that intimacy with him. And so that's, that's the first thing that happened is I had to learn I could trust him again. And that took me diving into my Bible. That took me learning how to pray with him and being very vulnerable with him and open up to him in ways that, you know, some people would say, you talk to God that way? Yeah, I did. I talked to God that way because he's bigger than my problems. He is a good father. He wants me to, to bring it to him. He doesn't want any kind of divider or division between us. He wants to know it all. Yes, he already knows it, but he wants me to speak it to him. He wants me to share it to him. It's just like with my kids. I knew when they were two that when they pointed to a cup, they wanted a drink. For them to learn how to speak and to use that vocab and to learn how to use their mouth correctly to form the words, they had to say cup or drink. They had to form it. And I had to be patient enough to let them do that. And so that's what God is doing is, I know you're in pain. I know you're hurting, but I need you to speak it because it is healing. And it teaches you how to unpack your own emotions and feelings with him. At the time, it was scary to do so. I will be honest. I I didn't want to go back to those pain moments because it was almost reliving those those areas of my life. However, when I walk with God through those pain moments, Lori, I've learned that it's not the pain that I'm actually experiencing. It's the pressure. I'm feeling it as pressure, not pain. And if I choose to embrace the pressure, a new life is given. Freedom is found. And so that's one of the the things that for our program, we walk women into how to develop that personal relationship with God. And we provide Christian counseling. We also provide medical care for them, wellness checkups, those types of things, as well as our group sessions. And our group sessions are going to be mostly centered about God, which our ladies will understand that um, we want to teach them how strong they truly are, how to have this courageous, courageous spirit and, and story to share with others. Because yes, I said yes to share my story, but because I said yes, it is now impacting others' lives who have desperately needed this type of healing. And if that could be true in my life, I know it's the same truth for these other ladies. If they're willing to walk through their own healing journey first and foremost with him, who knows what he will use and how he will use to impact other people that they come in contact with to find their own healing journey as well. That's so beautiful. And we all have a story. God has given all of us a story. And I think we often forget that those stories aren't given to us for us, Mm -hmm. but to be helpful to others. And so I just, I'm in awe of your courage that you are stepping out in faith and doing that. Mm, Thank you. 
And I also love, you know, we talked about this being a holistic approach. You've got that spiritual component in there because, I mean, that, that's the core of who we are. And so if you fix the physical and even you fix the emotional and you don't touch the spiritual, then I, I don't think you've completely, I hate to say solve the, the problem. That's not a good way to, mm. to word that, but you've, you've not served somebody in a way that gives complete healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I just know that there are people who are listening to us right now that are going to be so inspired and they're going to want to help. They're going to want to financially support you and, and anything else they possibly can. So tell us what people can, you know, what, your, what are your biggest needs and how can people reach out to you and get in contact with you so that they can help the work of her well. Thank you for that. So our biggest needs right now is funding. And I will say because it costs a little over $2,000 for a year for one woman to experience the personal healing process that our, our ladies go through. So our wait list is long and we could really use help finding funding for each of our women because we don't say yes to a woman unless we have the full funding for the whole year for her. And I do that on purpose because as a woman myself who has experienced this type of trauma, I don't ever want to tell a woman you can start your healing journey. And then in the middle of it, say, I'm sorry, we have no funding. I never yeah. want to tell a woman that. I want her to know she can rely on us to finish out our commitment to her for a full year. And so the women that are on our wait list as of right now, they, they still are able to participate in our group sessions and our basic self-defense courses. What they're not able to tap into in, as far as our services as of right now is the one-on-one -on -one trauma counseling and the medical care where they're getting the STD testing, the HIV testing, the pregnancy testing, and the woman, women checkup. They don't have access to that through our center as of yet. But like I said, only a little over $2,000 for one woman to experience all of that. That's not much. And it's, it's very reasonable if you do it in bite-sized chunks. So that's one way to help out. The other way to help out is through our comfort bag. We provide bags to our local hospitals because when a woman walks in because of a sexual assault, her clothing is taken for evidence. And a lot of times these women who are walking in seeking care for this don't realize that that's what's going to happen. And so how do they go home? What do they go home in? If a hospital doesn't have these comfort bags that provide clothing, and other items, then a woman goes home in paper scrubs. And as a woman who has experienced sexual assault, just the humiliation alone in the act of, of what happened to me, to be told, I'm sorry, but I'm going to need to collect your clothes and here's some paper scrubs for you to go home in. How humiliating is that? And so we're re-traumatizing her by doing that. And, it, and I know it's not the hospital's fault. It's just what they have available. And so that's why it's so important for us to provide these bags for these women so that they know, hey, we're caring about your, your physical and your emotional. Because in our bags, we actually provide sweatshirts and sweatpants. And the reason why we do that is because when a woman experiences that kind of trauma, she is wanting to cover her whole self and be comfortable. She doesn't want anything tight. She doesn't want anything revealing. She just wants to be cozy and comfortable. And sweatpants and sweatshirts do that for them. We also provide sugar scrub. 
sugar scrub is what they can use when they go take a shower because a woman wants to always go and take a shower. And usually she can be in there for hours scrubbing her body. And I'm talking about like taking her nails and scraping her skin. We provide the sugar scrub so that she doesn't feel like she has to to scrape her skin with her nails, trying to get this scent of the man off of her. We provide the sugar scrub so that she has that tactile and a different clean scent that doesn't remind her of her perpetrator. We also provide a tear bear, which we call a tear bear because of therapeutic emotional anxiety response bear. This bear is how we give her a hug. In that moment, she doesn't want to be touched. She doesn't want anybody to to touch her, but she does need a hug. In fact, the power of a hug, a 30-second hug, does something wonderful to our brains. Look it up. I'd love for you to just Google the power of a 30-second hug because you can find out so much about how that heals anybody who has experienced trauma. Just a hug. But because of her situation, she doesn't want to be touched. So we provide the bear to give her that touch, that hug that she desperately needs. And so we have an Amazon wish list that people can log on and monthly supply the needs that we have for these. We Right now, we are giving these bags out to two of our local hospitals that we know of. We're looking at doing another connection with one of the other local hospitals. So that'll be three that we'll have soon, hopefully, providing these bags to these women. We could use your help on doing that as well. So those are a couple of ways to do that. Plus prayer. Prayer is huge. And so if you are a prayer warrior, then you are my friend because we need you. Prayer protects us. Prayer provides for us. Prayer is powerful. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's listening today, maybe you can't give financially. Maybe you're not able to do the Amazon wish list for, for a comfort bag, but you know what? You can pray. You can pray because you know about these women that are receiving these bags. And so go ahead and start interceding for them. Lord, whoever receives these bags that she's giving, be in their life. Tell them how much you love them. Run after her, protect her, provide for her, help her be able to sleep because women don't sleep well after this. They have these these dreams and these night terrors. And so Lord, provide her rest provide her rest, provide her hope. And so be be praying over these ladies and then also pray for just the protection because, you know, when you're doing something good for God, the enemy likes to creep in. And and so we need that, that prayer of protection over our center as well. So those are the couple of ways that people can help out with her well. You can check out the show notes. I'll have links so you can get to exactly where you need to get to do whatever kind of support you want to. And I want to really encourage people to to look at it as a bigger thing than just helping this woman. Because when you reach out and you help these women, you know, they're moms, they're wives, they're coworkers. And when you're making things better, you're making it better for everybody that they come in contact with. Mm-hmm. So the ripple effect is tremendous. So please keep that in mind when you're praying about supporting her well. And I just want to tell you again, Candace, thank you so much for sharing with us, for being vulnerable, for giving us tremendous information. And I hope so many people will also share this episode. Let your friends know about this. Thank you for having me, Lori. It's been a pleasure.
It certainly has. Take care. The Bible verses that I wanted to talk about this week are from Isaiah, and it's in chapter 43, verses 1b through 3a. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isn't this picture of redemption from captivity just such a beautiful part of the history of God's people? And I believe that this is true on a personal level today as well. It does not matter what has happened to you that continues to hold you captive. You can be set free from it. The ultimate power to do this, of course, is from God. But he uses people all around us to accomplish this healing. People like Danielle's family and all of the trained professionals who guided her as she navigated the different ripple effects that her rape had on her life. And people like our guest, Candace Reyes who is working so hard to provide hope and healing to survivors of sexual trauma in her part of Texas. And people like you, that's right. You can look to see where God is working in your area to help victims of sexual assault and then join him there. That is an amazing way to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. And you'll learn so much to keep yourself and your loved ones safer as you are serving these other people. And so I know when I serve, I always feel like I I actually gain more than what I'm giving. So it's just service is such an amazing avenue to grow your faith. I recommend it to everybody. Now, if you like this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I've put a couple of links in the show notes to similar episodes to this one, and you won't want to miss them. And you can also help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact, when you share this episode or subscribe to the podcast. And you know the crazy algorithm. It puts the unlovely truth out in front of more people if you'll take just a few minutes and give me a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.